Good morning, River Church. Happy late 4th of July. We're excited to be with you this morning, and James is going to talk about suffering, the role of suffering in our life as believers out of Revelation. I've been thinking a lot about lament uh, this month, and in Psalm 10, 17 and 18, it says that God draws near to the humble and strengthens our heart. So we look forward to listening to James and for you to join us in worship today. Some of you in our backyard, in backyards, in homes, but we just gather together as one body this morning, the River Church. Let's worship together. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh, my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. You're rich in love and you're slow to your name is great and your heart is kind for all your goodness i will keep on singing ten thousand reasons for my heart to find bless the lord oh my soul oh my soul worship his holy name sing like never before oh my soul i'll worship your holy name and on that day and on that day when my strength is failing the end draws near and my time has come still my soul will sing your praise unending ten thousand years and then I'll worship your holy name. 
so good to be with you this morning and I am truly excited to bring this message and I think hopefully it'll be an encouragement it'll be a source of perspective and life for you and we are as a church in this series looking at revelation looking at the apocalypse of John and I want to start off by sort of introducing the concept of apocalypse but I, I want to ask you a question and I want you to talk to anyone in the room. Okay, I'll give you like a few seconds of pause. But what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word apocalypse? Okay, go. If you're all alone, talk to your parakeet. Okay, I know what you all have just said, right? Zombie apocalypse. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Zombies. And by the way, the River Church has a zombie attack fallback plan. We're meeting at Julian Holler's house, and we're going to move from there, building a coalition of survivors. So I'm not sure if there are any other churches that have plans like this. Keep that in mind, folks. Josh, uh, he's the only guy in the room here. Josh, what comes to mind when I say apocalypse? Maybe like a nuclear mushroom cloud in like the, like the shape of a dragon. <laughs> It's like, it's never good, right? You're never like apocalypse. I think about peace and clarity. You always think about these terrible things like explosions and fire and wars and like disease and 2020 people, let's face it, okay? We may be in the apocalypse. So for me, uh, my background, as many of you know, I grew up, my dad was a pastor, still is a pastor. And I grew up, uh, my dad's first church was a small Bible church. It was like really old school, okay? My dad wasn't old school. The church was super old school. And people were really into like the apocalypse. It was a thing back in the 80s, okay, and 70s as well. And there was this picture. And I remember even when you're a little kid and you look at a picture and it just sort of like it imbues into your brain. You see the picture as a kid and and it just you can't look away. It was this picture that hung in the hall of the church. I don't know who put it there, probably some dude back in the 70s. And I want to show it to you right now. So take a look at this picture. 
All right, so it's like the picture that when I think about Revelation or Apocalypse, the first thing I think about is pictures like this, like there's Jesus returning and there's these like ghostly creatures of people resurrecting and cars are crashing and planes into buildings and it's this catastrophe. So basically for me, the Apocalypse of John, this text, was always kind of a scary book. Like, I don't want to read that too close to bedtime. I'm going to go ahead and let that book stay on the shelf and collect some dust because thing. It's scary. And I think that can be uh, the response of a lot of us when it comes to that text in our New Testament, the apocalypse. But what I want to introduce you to is what actually is apocalypse. It's actually really simple. Apocalypse, it means this. It's a Greek term and it means this. It means unveiling. That's all that it means. It means revealing. It means providing a God's eye view on our lives. It's taking a moment to look at the circumstances that we're in as as individuals, as a people, in our geopolitical current climates, and to say, God, what would you say to this? Okay, so this this is all that revelation or apocalypse means. I think about, uh, there's this term in Swiss German, the Nebelmia. It's this uh, idea of the fog sea. In Switzerland, there'll be times where, where it'll be foggy for a month at a time. You just won't see the stars, the sun, anything. And so folks will do this thing where they'll hike up the Alps and get above the fog and they look at what's called the fog sea. And you go, oh yeah, the sun is shining. This is beautiful. There is reality beyond this fog. And, and that's exactly what's happening in the texts that we're looking at for this series. We're looking at two chapters of Revelation, and we're looking at these letters, which are given basically from Jesus through John to real churches full of real people in real circumstances living in Western Asia Minor in the first century. These are folks that are facing a reality where they see the power of the Roman Empire, the beauty and celebration of uh, Greek and Roman deities, where every other street corner would have a statue or a shrine or an altar to either a political figure or some sort of a divinity. And so the power of Rome, the control, the benevolence, the fruitfulness of empire was what was being celebrated. And many in this early baby Christian movement who celebrated a figure who was crucified by the Romans in the backwater temple state of Jerusalem, they would feel pretty isolated sometimes. And there were times where there was actual persecution or or, or challenges that they're facing just because they follow Jesus. And so these letters are an opportunity for basically Jesus to take the church up above the fog and say, I want you to see things the way they really are. So that's what we're diving into this morning. And, And I have the privilege of walking us through one of these letters to the church on Western Asia Minor, uh, Western Turkey, the church of Smyrna. So let's take a look at this very short, simple letter. And I just want to look at two things. I've, I've entitled this, Jesus Knows. Like that seems kind of scary, especially if you were raised in some of the circles I was raised in. Like Jesus Knows was kind of a way of Like, Jesus knows, Jesus is watching, he's got his eye on you, and it was like a behavior control thing. But this, we're going to see, it's actually way more encouraging than that. Jesus knows. And so, let's take a look, if you want to open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to start 
Um, I'm going to start things off in verse 8. So let's go there now. So, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write this. These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews, but they're not. Right? Again, we, we forget that uh, the New Testament is actually an intra-Jewish conversation. The early Christians were mostly Jewish Christian believers, and so they're looking at these debate partners or folks that are applying pressure on them in the community of Smyrna, and Jesus is saying, I want you to know they don't represent my people. What they're doing is not of me. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. Some of you are going to be wrongfully incarcerated. You're going to suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death. I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who's victorious, this one will not be hurt at all by the second death. So I want to look at two things in this simple letter. First, I want to look at the source of the letter. I want to look at the author and the way that author self-represents, the way that author introduces himself. And then secondly, I want to look at that author's relationship to those who are in suffering. So how you introduce yourself can tell you a lot about the message that is about to be read. So if I send an email or if someone sends um, a letter and they introduce themselves in a, in themselves in a certain way, right? It, it sort of prepares us for what we're about to read. Uh, funny example. So some of you may have seen this, but a ways back, there was this scam that went through. Someone somehow had gotten a hold of like an old email of Todd's or some email and were sending emails to certain people saying, hey, this is Pastor Todd. I need money. Please send it to me. I can't talk right now. And people were like emailing the church, calling Todd, like, Todd, do you need money, bro? What's going on? Well, for those of us that know Todd, right, we know automatically that cannot possibly be an email from him. Todd never calls himself Pastor Todd. We're just not really a church like that where you run around calling each other Pastor Todd, Pastor James, Pastor Matt, right? So already you know that's not how Todd self-represents. To be, to be truthful, if you had his own way, he, he prefers the Reverend Archbishop or his esteemed holiness. So when you refer to Todd, just keep those things in mind. I'm just kidding, Todd. You know I love you, baby. So when we think about how Jesus introduces himself in this letter, it actually tells a whole lot about the content um, of that letter. So each of the seven letters begin with a little introduction. And the author, which is Jesus uh, ultimately, the author says, I am this one. I am that one. I am like this. And so he uses little different attributes before he reads the letter. Check out this, at, this, this introduction. These are the words of him who's the first and the last who died and came to life again. Right, so, so if you had just read Revelation 1, and we need to remember, these texts were all read, normally out loud to a group of mostly illiterate people, read all in one sitting. So context was not hard for them to grasp. It was literally the last page that was read or the last part of the scroll. So if we turn back and we look at the introduction we get to this Jesus, I want you to see how this ties into the way 
Jesus addresses the church in Smyrna. So, Revelation chapter 1, if you want to turn back one with me or just listen in, Revelation 1 verse 12, John is on this island of Patmos and he's exiled there. It's just off the coast of these seven churches in Western Asia Minor. And it says, I turned around to see a voice. He's having a vision. And someone was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. So this is all apocalyptic imagery. This is poetic, beautiful, visionary imagery. And it is underscoring one thing. Oh my goodness, this Jesus is glorious, is powerful. It's like one of those, like, I don't know what to say when I see this sublime moments of the unveiling of Jesus's glory. Have you ever bumped into like a hero or maybe like a celebrity you really dig and you're real close proximity to them and you're like, I don't know what to say. Like one of my favorite scholars of all time is this guy N.T. Wright. If you haven't read anything by N.T. Wright, get on it. I mean, this dude is brilliant and amazing and I think one of the leading thinkers of our time. But I was at an academic conference and those are kind of small deals. There's like, you know, 5,000 scholars there or more and you actually can see all these sort of heroes of yours and not just in special moments, like you're getting coffee and you look next to you. And at one time I was young, I was like 27. I look over and there's N.T. Wright getting a coffee next to me. And I'm like doing one of those awkward, like, be cool, play it cool, James. It's N.T. Wright. And he looks over at me and goes, hello. And I'm like, I read your book. I like your book, big book, like them. And I'm starting to have spirit fingers and it's like, what do I do? right? You're just sort of paralyzed. Like he's talking to me, this dude that I've read and I look up to so much. Okay. So here's John seeing Jesus and look at his response, his immediate response. Verse 17, when I saw him, what's up Jesus? No. He goes, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now this is the picture that some of us have in our head of if we saw the glorified Jesus or if we saw God in his glory, the, the move is like, I'm dead. I'm just gonna fall down on my face and not move. And I think that's actually an appropriate response to pure creative power, genius, brilliance, omniscience, omnipotence. There's some big fun words. But look at what Jesus does. This is actually one of the most important moves and I think it frames the letter we're gonna see as well. So there's John falling down as though dead, then Jesus places his hand on me. Jesus reaches down and touches him. That's kind of gnarly, even in a COVID context, right? But that's like way more gnarly when you think about the revelation of Jesus in all of his splendor. And John's response is, I don't want to move. I have, no, I have no business even being in your presence, Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He touches him and he says these words. It's two words in Greek. Me phobu. It's an imperative. Me phobu. Don't be afraid. Like I could stop preaching right there. Like that alone. The glory and grandeur 
of God, the numinous beauty of God, the power that would just shake you to your bones, and the fact that God would then touch you when you fell and say, don't be afraid. Mephobu, don't be afraid. And he placed his right hand on me, and what did he say? Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. It's exactly the intro to the letter to the church in Smyrna. Don't be afraid. Jesus gets in close proximity to John. He touches him. He says, I'm with you. And you have nothing to fear with me. So I just think when we now jump into the letter and you realize it starts with Jesus essentially saying, don't be afraid. I know, and this is, um, this is powerful. I know your afflictions, verse nine. I know your poverty. I know your afflictions. I know your poverty. What's so important about the title? Jesus saying, I died. It's because it reminds us that when, when Jesus says, I know your affliction, I know your pain, I know the darkness that's encircling you, I know the hopelessness, I know the betrayal, I know the wrongful incarceration, I know the heartbreak, the heartache, I know the smells of disease that you are living with, I know the loneliness. He doesn't just know it academically. He doesn't just know it through his omniscience, like a deity floating five feet off the ground, never quite touching down with us. Rather, one of the most obscenely amazing truths of the Christian narrative is that that God, the God described in chapter one, the deity that is all-powerful and all-beautiful, came and dwelt with us and didn't just sit on a chariot being glorified and honored, but rather jumped into the mud and slop and pain and betrayal and death and the public execution. And he reminds this church that is going through something hard. I don't just know about what you're going through, but I am the one who died and who is alive. I really, really know. And I just want to just hold that thought for a second. If you're in a place of pain and your anxiety is out of control, let me tell you, in the students that I work with and and, uh, the younger generations, Millennials, Gen Z, anxiety statistically is through the roof in this country. And it's the same in the church. There is really no difference statistically from Christians and non-Christians battling with anxiety. I want you to hear something. Jesus knows. Not just because Jesus knows about your anxiousness. Jesus has experienced it. Go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. There Jesus is. Like anguishing. Asking, Lord, take this cup from me, Father. I don't want to go through with what I have to go through with. Sweating bullets and pain and anguish, Jesus knows. I think it's important for us to all kind of keep in mind, Jesus knows loss of a loved one. Jesus knows. I can bring comfort. The second point, the first point is the source. Jesus knows. Whoever's writing this letter, Jesus of Nazareth, he knows what they're going through. Secondly, Jesus, look at the proximity. Look how close he gets. Look at his abiding presence with those in pain. This church in Smyrna, they're looking at wrongful incarceration. And these are not 
sort of state penitentiary style sanitary environments. These are basically pits. They're holding cells for either execution or some other judgment. He's saying, I know your spiritual struggle, the spiritual warfare. Again, we lose this in our sort of hyper-naturalistic Western world that we live in, that I live in. I tend to have a bias against the supernatural. I look out and look around and I go, eh, I don't know if there's spiritual warfare that strong. I don't see it. I don't feel it. It's not part of my general worldview as a culture. But as Christians, we, we realize our battle is a spiritual battle. It's a frontline battle. In, it's a cosmic conflict, essentially. Part of what Revelation is doing is reminding folks, dude, your battle, it's not just the sum total of your body and your society, your mind. We are pneumatic, psychosomatic beings. We are, we are spiritual as much as we are brains and body. Okay, this is one of the claims of Christianity. And so this letter is encouraging them, I know you're in a place of spiritual battle and I'm telling you, persevere, stand through it, be faithful and I will crown you. I will meet you in it because I know I've been there. I'm with you in that suffering and I will meet you through it and I will meet you on the other end of it. You will not walk alone and it will not be for nothing. So this is such a big encouragement. I know. Be faithful to the point of, even to the point of death and I will give your life, give you life as your victor's crown. I will bring you life the likes of which you could not even imagine. This is the reminder they needed. This was the climbing out of the fog to see the topography of truth that they needed. I will see you to the other side and it will so be worth it. Jesus is near to this church. He's so close to them. He says, though you're poor, the world might look at you and go, you're a bunch of poor folks. By the way, ancient Christians, second and third century, one of the accusations against Christians was, you are merely a movement made of women and slaves and poor folks. That's, that's all your movement is. That's how elite polytheists would like to attack the church. I could give you sources for that if you'd like. So, it's cool to see how Jesus looks at this church and goes, oh, you're poor, I see that. But dang, you're rich. And let me take you above the fog to show you the wealth and my presence with you. Uh, Psalm 34, I think it's verse 18. My notes flew away in the beautiful wind, so I don't know for sure. Psalm 34, verse 18, that God is near to the brokenhearted. God is so close to the brokenhearted. And I just want to close with that reminder of the proximity of God's heart, his active presence to bless and heal and bring comfort and repose and peace to those that are brokenhearted. And so, as I think about our applications and just some ways that we can maybe start making this real in our life, uh, I think first of all, um, maybe it's our individual ministries to folks in pain, sitting with people that are in a hard place, some of the most profound moments that I have ever experienced when we faced um, the, the loss of Calvin uh, from our life uh, quickly and um, shockingly and unexpectedly and heartbreakingly. Um, in those moments was, was the people that just came and sat with us and just cried with us and just said, I'm crying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sad. Just being there, not fixing or like, what's the right thing to say? But just saying, I want, to, I, want to, I want you to know I love you and I stand with you. And when the Spirit prompts, maybe there's a word of encouragement. 
That's a powerful ministry to develop. And it can be uncomfortable for some of us that don't like the down. We don't like the valley. We don't want to stay out of that. I want to remind you, Jesus is there. The God of this universe is with the brokenhearted. And so when we look around our community and say, who's hurting? Um, cultivating that ministry of just sitting and being with people. Um, secondly, I think about it as a church, as a broader church. Uh, we don't just see ourselves as individuals. Me and God, me and God, me and God. It's us and God. And so at the river, that's our local expression of it. At the River Church, we want to be a church that is near to the brokenhearted, near to those on the margins, near to the disenfranchised, near to those that are facing poverty and injustice and pain. It's something that we want to be a part of, not just because we feel a moral ought to it, but because we realize that's where God's heart is. If you want to look around and say, where are you, God, in this world? Like when I'm playing hide-and-seek with my kids in the house, I'm playing hide-and-seek, and I'm counting, and I'm the, I'm the finder or whatever, the seeker, my, my two oldest ones will go hide in these cool spaces. And I know how to find out where they are in the house once I'm searching. I just look for where little two-year-old Zion is running around because he always just runs and basically sells them out. He'll, he'll, I'll listen for him, and I know that's where one of the kids is at least, right? The signs of where my kids are, I can detect them. I would submit to you this morning, if you want to know, God, where are you on this planet right now? Where's your, I, I don't mean Where's your ontological presence? I mean, where is your presence to bless and minister? Where is your heart actively beating for? Look for the places of heartbreak. Look for those that are in distress and in pain. And our narrative tells us that's where God's heart is near. And so in this moment we find ourselves in, as you know at the River Church, we have been actively seeking, Lord, how can we join together with and pray for and contend for and love our brothers and sisters of color in this country in this moment of deep anguish and pain? Why do we want to do that? Because it's, it's trending on social media, because it's in the news? No, because it's where God's heart is. It's with the brokenhearted, and that's where I want to be and we want to be. And as a church, that's a reason why we insist on being, we want to be. We're not perfect at it, right? I'm not perfect at it. We want to be a church that gives ourselves away more and more because that's what God's up to. And finally, application. I just want to encourage all of us, um, when you're in that space of pain, I know some of you right now are in unimaginable pain. Bill McPhee, my brother and mentor in the Lord, is in pain I can't even imagine and Heather and Connor as well at the loss of beautiful Cynthia. God is with you. I know you can't feel it sometimes. I know that it's so, the void is so great that has been left in your heart. God is with you and this church is wrapped around you right now. And we're not going to stop. God is near the brokenhearted. It's such a profound comfort. So let me pray. Lord, thank you so much that you remind us who you are, you're not ignorant of our suffering. You're not in some other dimension and galaxy having tea while we are suffering in the dirt and drama of history. But God, you're with us. You entered into it. And Lord, I thank you that you are so close to the brokenhearted. So heal hearts today. Let us be healers. Let us be those that sit with those in pain. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks a lot. I've tried so hard to see it. Took me so long to believe it. 
that you choose someone like me to carry your victory perfection could never earn it you give what we don't deserve and you take the broken things and raise them to glory you are my champion giants fall when you stand undefeated every battle you've won I am who you say I am And you crown me with confidence I am seated In the heavenly place undefeated With the one who has conquered it all Now I can finally see it you're teaching me how to receive it So let all the striving cease This is my victory Yes, you are my champion Giants fall when you stand undefeated Every battle you won I am who you say I am And you crown me with confidence I am seated In the heavenly place undefeated With the one who is conquered it all You have conquered it all stand undefeated with you oh, oh. when I lift my voice and shout every wall comes crashing down I have the authority Jesus has given me and when I Open up my mouth Miracles come crashing out I have the authority Jesus has given me And when I lift my voice and shout Every wall comes crashing down I have the authority Yes, Jesus has given me And when I open up my mouth Miracles come breaking out I have the authority has given me and you are my champion giants fall when 
This is how I fight my battles. 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 This is how. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you, God. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I find my battles. This is how I sing. This is how I find my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. This is how. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. This is how. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you, God. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And this is how I fight my battles. Thanks and praise. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Sing it out. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. Sing it out. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how it may look like. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you, God. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. 
It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. God, you inhabit our praise. Lord, you come near to us, God, when we praise your name, when we worship your holy name. And God, when it looks like we're surrounded by evil, by by um, darkness, by um, depression, by anxiety, um, God, by anything else, Lord, that, that may feel like it's coming against us, God, that it may look like to the human eye we are surrounded, but really, Lord, we are surrounded by you. Lord, we are hidden in your wings God, that you come to our rescue. You are our champion, Lord, that you are undefeated and that we are sitting with you because we are who you say we are, Jesus. Lord, let us hold tightly to who you say we are, God. And Lord, may we see you surrounding us when things get tough, when things get hard, when things get sad, when things get out of our control, Lord, let us see you surrounding us with your love, your grace, your joy, your peace. Thank you, God, for who you are. We praise you. We thank you. And we can't thank you enough for being who you are to us. We love you, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed James' sermon. God is so near to the brokenhearted. And I want to pray for us today if you're in that space where your heart is breaking. Um, We are with you. We stand with you. And the most important thing is that God is with us. God, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for James and his word from Revelation. And God, thank you for the promise of your presence in the places in our life that hurt and that are tender and that feel desperate. God, we thank you that you are faithful to us, that you show up, that you understand, and that you are with us. God, we don't know what we do without you. You are um, our very present help in all our times of trouble. So thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit, and thank you for your presence as a father in our lives, holding us tenderly when we walk through those tough days and just the moments where our heart is hurting. In Jesus' name, amen. River Church, have a great day. We'll see you next week.